0: Today, we begin our observance of the season of Advent. The word Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. It is the time in the church calendar where we anticipate the coming of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas time each year. Advent serves as a reminder of the reason that we celebrate Christmas that God chose to reveal himself to us through the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a long-awaited Savior. Even as we observe the first Advent, we also ought to be mindful of the fact that we currently live between two Advents, two arrivals of Jesus. He has promised to come again, and we await his second arrival. Today's Advent theme is hope. This morning, we reflect on the hope that God gives to us. Hope from God is not an uncertain or wishful hope. Instead, hope from God is based on his promises— in which we have assurance. He promised hope in the Messiah who came and will come again. Today we today we reflect on this hope and put our hope in him anew. Yep. Okay. Our scripture reading is from Psalm chapter thirty three verses twenty through twenty two. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given us in all circumstances of life. We place our hope in your Son, who came to earth as a baby to rescue us from sin and death. Amen.
1: this morning we're going to be starting a new series as we get into this Advent season, as we, uh, as we just talked about, as we await uh, the celebration uh, of the coming of Christ and wait for the next Advent, the appearance of Jesus Christ once again. And I'm excited about that, and I want to open uh, this, this series with a very fitting quote, something that I learned from a Christmas movie that you may be familiar with. And that is a line that we all should uh, be, be able to recite in our heads by now, probably, because this movie's a uh, it's been out there uh, for a little while. And that line is the best way to, s- to, to spread Christmas cheer. Say it with me if you know the rest is singing loud for all to hear. It's kind of weird that we all know this Will Ferrell line and it means Christmas to us, but it's true. If you've ever seen the movie Elf, that's the line that that uh, Will Ferrell gives in the movie. It gets repeated many times. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, uh, attributed to Buddy the Elf. And uh, we, we see this, uh, this reality in our culture, it plays out. I mean, we think about, we, we had that question, what is your favorite Christmas carol? What's your favorite Christmas song? We all probably have a short list of what we like to hear this holiday season, what reminds us of, of being young and celebrating the joy of Christmas, uh, uh, you know, anew each year. And so as we think about that, it really has its roots, though, in something much deeper. As we think about song, we think about Christmas, we think about seasons, we think about what song, the power of song in our hearts and in our lives. Here's a quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, God has prepared for himself one great song of praise throughout eternity. And those who enter the community of God join in this song. Is it is the song that the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for at the creation of the world we join in a song when we come into the family of God and it's something it's something about music in scripture that that draws us in and we all are are drawn by by music that's why we listen to it in the car that's why we have our favorite artists but something it's almost like how we're designed that God created us we are communicated to we communicate with music at a deep level it's a form of art that we use to really share what's on our hearts so music is powerful And as we think about Christmas, music is one of those things that comes to mind. And interestingly, as we look at the narrative in Luke chapter 1 and 2, which really covers in depth, uh, the most fully, the birth and the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came as a baby to then grow up and ultimately rescue us from our sins through his death on the cross after living a sinful or sinless life. And he exchanges our sinful results for his sinless results. And that we get to enter into that relationship with him as a result of what Jesus did. So our, our Christmas songs that happened at the beginning of Luke, there are four, arguably five Christmas songs in the narrative of Luke's gospel in just Luke's chapter, Luke chapters one and two. And so we see these songs play out. So Christmas songs being a thing is not just something in our modern culture. God instilled that in the very beginning in his word. We see these Christmas songs drawing us into what is going on, the history, the arc of salvation that began right immediately after mankind's first sin in the garden that we uh, get to spend eternity with him despite our sin, despite our separation from God, we have this opportunity to be united with him. And song is how this gets expressed from the very beginning. You are probably familiar with the initial introduction of Mary to the idea that she is going to have a child and this child is going to grow up to become the Messiah. But the angel Gabriel appears to her and he greets her and she's kind of thrown off by the whole thing. And um, as she interacts with Gabriel, she's she's asking some questions like, how is this actually going to happen? And um, and we see some responses from her uh, in, in, in this interaction. But ultimately what she responds with is our first Christmas song that we're going to be looking at in verses 46 through 55. I'm going to read it for us That's Mary's song that she sang or composed. It's a, it's a song or a poem that we see in scripture in response to the news that she, though she was a virgin and not married, was going to have a child and this child was going to be the Messiah. Now, I think it's, it's some really interesting factors about who Mary is, about her experience um, in, in the midst of this season, and her response that is truly amazing. As we look at, at the themes of these of these words that she says, and the way that she responds to God's huge call on her life to step into this moment. The first way that Mary responds is that she responded with scripture. She responds and prays back to God, and as you look at this, uh, at this song that she, that she sings, there are themes that are clear connections to other portions of Scripture, particularly a couple of songs from the Old Testament also sung by faithful women. One of them being Hannah in first Samuel chapter two, had prayed she had prayed for a son, she had promised that if God provided that son that she would um, this child that she would dedicate this child back to the Lord and he did provide this child Samuel, and she did dedicate him back to the Lord in fact dropped him off at the temple to grow up and become uh, the priest or a prophet of God and, and that 's exactly what happened. She composed a song after, um, after she became pregnant and, and praised God through that and then there's also Miriam in Exodus chapter 15 sings a song and these themes from these other two songs, you, there are uh, up to 15 references, depending on how you count them, to these other songs, the portions of Scripture. Also, thematically, some themes that run all the way through Scripture from beginning to end. We see them heavy in the, in the narratives, but also in the Psalms and in Proverbs and then continue on through the New Testament. So, this is remarkable given that Mary was not. Uh, did not have a copy of the scriptures in her house. We take it for granted that we have probably, uh, you know, for many of us, we have these lying, or for me, I get made fun of actually by people in my my house about how many Bibles I own and uh, where they are. They're all over, they're strewn about. There's all, you can be sitting in a chair and usually there's one within reach. And we have access to the scripture in an unprecedented way. And Mary did not have that. In fact, she was probably illiterate, but she would go to temple and she would hear uh, the words of God read in the synagogue, and she was not just hearing it, but she was taking it in. In fact, we, we uh, have given away this this devotional the last week, and there's a handful of copies left. So, if your family did not get one of these, this is just our way of saying, "Hey, let's together, let's reflect on uh, on God this Advent season as we approach Christmas. Let's make sure that we are reflecting on what Jesus came to do for us, and not just go through the motions and get caught up in all the craziness uh, of the holiday season, which happens." to us so often. I mean, we, we all of a sudden we blink and it's over and all we thought about was wrapping presents and hosting parties and things of that nature. And those are good things. But this is also a time where we need to pause and allow God to speak to us. So that's what these devos are here for. But along those lines, just thinking about Mary and her having listened to the word and not just hearing it, but further. Here's what it says in page 39 of that devotional. You'll get there. It's a a little bit down the line. You'll get there this week. But uh, it says, but more than just hearing scripture, she, Mary, had internalized it. She had listened to it. She had retained it. She loved it so that when she opened her mouth to speak, when she went to the Lord in prayer and praise, what came out was the word of God. And that's exactly what's going on here. She's She's sharing this song, but it's not just stuff that she's making up. It's things that she has heard from God's word. It's, it, it's themes that she has heard. It's, it's words that she has heard from the word of God coming to her. Mary responded with scripture, which is pretty, uh, a pretty awesome thing. Uh, and it's just filled with biblical themes as we'll continue to talk about. The second thing that how, way that Mary responded that, we, that really stands out to us is that Mary responded with humility. She responded with humility. Humility is it's not a natric, natural natural characteristic in our world it's not a thing that people really pursue but Mary demonstrates a lot of it here in these moments by what she says and even her actions how she uh, how she carries herself in in what follows all the way through the narrative Uh, again it says in verse 48 he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name she said she acknowledges her humble state. She acknowledges who she is, that she's, uh, that she's a humble person before God and how she carries herself, how she interacts with the angel. She's willing to receive it, but she's also confused about why she's been chosen for this great role. And in, in, a, in a moment that I think would be probably for most of us in her shoes, filled with great fear. She w- we would be filled with great fear about what's coming. And I'm sure there was a part of that, of her heart that was there. But mostly she's grateful and she's accepting of what God's called her to. She steps into this with humility. Again, nobody really celebrates things like simplicity, things like quiet, things like humility in our world. But here's a great life verse. Paul says this to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. When we think about ambition in 2023, soon to be 2024, well, we do not think of a quiet life. I think when we think about ambition, our mind goes to a place of achievement, of accomplishing more, of getting more things done. That's where our mind can go when it comes to ambition. We don't have an ambition to lead a quiet and simple life, but there's something beautiful in that. And I think Mary, when we look at culturally the differences between where we live now and, and, and where she was living back then, her life was, was very quiet and simple. She was poor. We know that Mary and Joseph were poor because when they took the baby Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice, they offered the sacrifice that the law allowed for someone who was poor instead of someone who had a little bit more. They offered Purds uh, to to God, a dove, uh, as that sacrifice. And so that was something that only a family that didn't have a lot of resources was allowed to do. Otherwise, you would would have a greater offering at that moment. And so uh, we we know that there's a simplicity and there's a humility of the life of Mary and Joseph, and particularly Mary in this moment. We see this quiet, the simplicity, this humility. And oftentimes that's not even on our radar. It's filling our schedules, it's accomplishing more, it's doing more instead of just being more the person of God that he has called us to be. And she hits this biblical theme. Not only is she carrying herself in humility, but she's also acknowledging this this Bible-wide theme of humility and how what God does with those who are humble versus those who are prou- prideful. We see it in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's actually quoting from the book of Proverbs, but he repeats it, so we see this theme running all the way through. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, and here's the quote, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or grace to the humble. He, he lifts up the humble, and sometimes he, he, he topples over the proud who have lifted themselves up. We see this as a theme that continually runs through the pages of scripture. How God treats, he turns things on its head. The things that the world tends to value and lift up. We lift up those who accomplish a lot and say great things about themselves and they end up getting a lot of accolades. They get, end up getting a lot of attention. But God, he opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. His, in God's economy, things work a little bit contrary to the economy of our world. So Mary, she responded with scripture. She responded with humility. Third, she responded with trust. This is where it gets really difficult in the midst of this scene. She responded with trust. It had to take a great deal of trust for this young teenager who's engaged to be married, living in a small town, living in a time where uh, having a child out of wedlock would have been Extremely looked down upon by the people around her. She would have been, felt very judged. She could have been excluded from the community, which was a huge deal. All of life was communal in that day. There's a lot on the table. So it was a different time. And so for her, in, in these moments, knowing that what she's going to be reporting to other people, that, she show, that, that an angel showed up to her, appeared to her, and said, you're pregnant, and, and God has caused this, and th- this child that you're pregnant with is going to be the Messiah. That's, that's a pretty big story, you know? Like, that is a, that's a big deal, to get people to believe that. And then people are like, it could be that, or not. And the, the or not would have been a big deal in that day and age. And so she's got to wrestle with, the, with this. And, and responding with trust is no small thing for her in the midst of this scene. To, to trust God. Just for reference, earlier in the chapter, Zechariah, who we're going to look at a song that he composed uh, very soon in this series as well, Zechariah demonstrated uh, doubt as the angel Gabriel appears to him to tell him about what's going on when his wife becomes pregnant with John the Baptist, who is going to precede our Lord and, tell, and prepare the way for the Messiah. When, when he hears this news, he, he asks a similar question to Mary, but his, you can see there's a, there's just a, it, it's, it's just, there's a hint of doubt within his, whereas Mary's like, well, how's this gonna happen? Uh, I, I, I see that you're gonna do it, but how? He's going, well, how, is it really gonna happen? And he's, he has this hint of doubt, and because of that, he cannot speak until John the Baptist is born. God takes away his voice until that time. And so we see that responding with trust, even when the angel of God appears to you, it's not a given. It's not a given. It's a decision that needs to be made that can be very difficult in, the, in these moments. And Mary responds with this trust. She mentions in the midst of this, rejoicing. She says that all generations will look upon me as blessed. <laughs> how do you get to that place considering your current circumstances? She's got an expansive view and she's, because of that, she's able to have trust. I love how these, these uh, responses of Mary, they really build on each other. She responds with humility and trust because she is also responding with scripture, understanding God's word and, and what he wanted to communicate to people in his world. Through his word, she gets those concepts and she's able then to internalize what's going on, her small and humble role in the midst of his overarching story, but then also her ability to trust based on what she knows about what God has already done. Trust is a difficult task. It can be a difficult thing for us to do, even among other people. Uh, Sometimes, especially with other people. And sometimes there's really good reason for that. Trust is a difficult thing to do without a track record to trust someone else. You know, we have to be careful about how much trust we put into a perfect stranger. We have to be even more careful about how much trust we give to someone who has repeatedly taken advantage of our trust and betrayed us. In fact, it's really, in a lot of ways, it's foolish to trust someone who's taking advantage of you over and over again. And even even the idea and the concept of forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. We can forgive, but remember... We can sometimes forgive, and it's necessary to sometimes forgive and remember because we don't want to put ourselves in a position of being vulnerable to falling into the same pattern of mistreatment by another person. Sometimes that's necessary that we need to do that. We can forgive, but also uh, not forget because sometimes we equate those two things in our mind. And God does, He removes our sins far from us, and and sometimes the scripture characterizes it as, as, as if He forgot about our sins, He's wiped them away. But as we walk through this life, there are times when there's repeated action or repeated sin where we can forgive, but we can still remember in order to not put ourselves in that same vulnerable position. So how does this work with God? How does, how does this idea that, uh, of a track record and trusting someone as they've built trust with us work with God? He calls us to trust him even when we cannot see the full picture, right? But he does give us a track record, a reference, and Mary points this as well in her song we see a historical track record and a personal track record that we can have with God she's referring back to all of the things that he has done since the beginning with his people that he has he, he is trust, he is, he's worthy of our trust because he's been trustworthy since the start and when we look back on our lives even though sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death he's with us to comfort us He's with us to be, to be along our, our side. He does not take away those difficult times, but he walks through them with us. And so we see God's track record playing out in front of us as well, both through the scriptures and in our individual lives as we walk along with him. And because of those things, Mary, she's able to respond with trust and, and her humility allows herself to put, her, to put herself out there with God and say, I'm going to trust you beyond what I can see. I'm going to trust you beyond what I know. The, again, we've talked about this in the last month, but beyond, the enemy of, of trust is our autonomy, our desire for autonomy in our lives. When we are pursuing our own autonomy separate from God, which really it was the first sin in the garden, when we are pursuing being our own God and trusting only ourselves, it's impossible to trust God. So we need to have that humble, be in that humble place like Mary in order to be able to respond with trust to God. She says in Luke one fifty one, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. She's looking back at his track record and saying, this is why I can trust him. The final thing that we see in her response is that Mary responded with willingness. She responded with willingness. We talked about the fact that responding with trust was not a given. Zechariah did not respond with trust in a very similar circumstance. Responding with willingness is not a given either. I think for the Jewish people at this time, and, and you know, all throughout time really, but Mary, she would have grown up hearing story after story about Moses. He was like, he was like the Old Testament Michael Jordan. Like he was the best of the best. He was the goat. And everyone looked to him. They're like, he is, he is outstanding. He's Some of you are like, oh, I think LeBron James is the goat. Wrong. Michael Jordan. Um, he, they're thinking about the, the Old Testament they're thinking about Moses. like he, he is the man. They are just they looking at his example all the way through. But I think one of the things that really brings Moses down to earth is his, the scene of his calling initially to, to do what God has asked him to do. He had a huge role. He had to get the people of Israel who had built up into a great nation in, in Egypt and who were enslaved. He had to be the spokesperson for God to lead them out and prepare them for entrance into their own land. And that turned out to be A very difficult job. And he knew that that something difficult was lying ahead. God called him, if you remember the story, he called him from within a bush that was on fire but not burning up. So he's out tending sheep. He sees this bush. He walks closer to it because he's like, Why is this bush on fire but not actually burning up? This is confusing. He walks closer, and then God begins to speak to him from inside the bush. And he's speaking to him, telling him, I'm calling you, I'm asking you to go back to the land of Egypt. And tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so there's a whole conversation that ensues. Moses says, well, who am I to do that? That's his first response. Now, as we read that, we're like, oh, yeah, look, he's, he's responding with humility, like, like Mary, but... He's not. It's it's not a it's not a true humility. It's not that same place. He's he's actually crossing over. There's a difference between having humility and having zero esteem for oneself, right? And and being willing to allow God to use us. There's a difference, and we have to make sure that we're uh, on the right side of that. He's saying, "Who am I?" In a sense of saying, "I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do." Because who am I? You picked the wrong person. He's telling God that God made a mistake, and God answers that. He says, "Look." I know, basically he didn't do anything to help his self-esteem. He's like, I know you're nothing special, but I'm going to be with you, you know? And that's his response to all of us. And when we say, oh God, but me? And he says, yeah, I'm calling you. I'm calling you, but I'm going to be with you. I know that you're not you're nothing special. Neither is anybody else except for his son. No one, was per- no one has been perfect. And so n- none of us are anything special, but he still chooses to use us. And we see that theme throughout the Bible, we see it with Mary, but we see it all the way back to the forefathers uh, of, of the faith. And so he, he says, who am I? God says, I'm going to be with you. He says, well, what if the people, they, they're like, well, what's the name of this God who called you to do this? And he goes, tell them, Yahweh, I am who I am. I am sent you. That's what you should tell him. He gives them an answer to that question. And he's, and then he goes, yeah, but, but like, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me that I had this interaction with you, the great I am? What if they, even though I give great answers to all this other stuff, what if they don't believe me? And he goes, I'm going to give you a couple of signs. And he gives them two signs. He's able to turn his staff into a snake and then back into a staff. And he's able to make his hand look like it's leprous and then restore it immediately. He gives them these two miraculous signs to perform. And uh, and so God answers that question. And after that, he doesn't really have much to say. So he, he just ends up with this. He's like... I'm not a great public speaker. It's like it's not gonna work. It's a bad plan. And he, he he ends, uh he ends with, with this ultimate request in, in chapter four, Exodus chapter four, verse thirteen. He says, says, Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> Stepping into this it's a great call of God with willingness is not a given. I think a lot of us miss our opportunities that we have in front of us because we don't believe that we could be that person that God could use. Mary probably had a sense or a piece of herself that wanted to go to that same place as Moses. Like, send someone else to do it. This giant of the faith who God tapped on the shoulder called said come and do what I'm asking you to do. I will be with you. I will give you these signs. This is my name. No one's ever heard my name before. Who, who gave man his mouth Who allows you even to to form words? I'm going to be with you. And he says, send someone else. Mary responds in a very different way. She says, I am am the Lord's servant. In verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. That was Mary's response. And I just, I think that's just so incredibly inspiring. This is literally a teenage girl stuck in the midst of this incredibly disorienting and challenging moment of her life where she's receiving news that she never could have expected, never could have anticipated. That's gotta be throwing her for a loop where she is just like, what do I even do with this news, this information? It makes no sense. But she ends this interaction. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me, be fulfilled. And I think that's just where our hearts need to be as we approach God. As he says to us, you, you are my servant, I'm calling you, I'm putting you in a scenario that no one else is in right now. No one else is in the same circumstances as you. To follow God, to walk with him with a level of trust and faithfulness and obedience, to reach the people in your sphere that are in your sphere but they're not in my sphere or anybody else's. And we think about this, this room that we, of people that we have here. If we were all willing to say this if we were all willing to say, may your words me be fulfilled, I'm your servant, God, just, just use me how you intend to use me, then he would just be able to transform the world through even this, just this room of people because of our obedience to him. It's a scary thing to say. It had to be a scary thing for Mary to say because I'm sure her plans for herself looked a lot different than God's plan that he's revealing to her right now. And I think that's where we get to the crossroad in our faith. When we start to realize that maybe God's plan for me doesn't look exactly like my own plan for myself. What do I do with that? Whose plan gets to win out in that moment? And if we're honest, if we're honest, and we can say whatever we want to say, but when we're honest, it is very difficult to lay down our ideas, our plans for the future, our desires our vision and pick up God's and say, whatever it is, even though I don't know how this turns out, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be whatever it is. I'm going to follow. That's a hard call. But it's something we need to work on in our hearts. And as we continue to follow along with our Lord, he reveals himself as faithful and we are able to give more trust to him. So wherever we are in this process, the important part is that we take a small step. We take a step towards that, that we say those words, even though we know we're fighting to believe them, we're fighting to follow through, that we give that prayer to God and we pray that scary prayer. I'm your servant. Do with me what you please, Lord. I'm gonna do what you call me into. I'm gonna, wherever that is, that's where I wanna be. Not what I have in mind, not my plan, but I'm gonna lay that down. Am I willing to surrender that control to God? Am I at the point of being able to say those words? along with Mary. And as we do that, as we walk with him, once again, he shows himself faithful. And we begin to realize that whatever our plan was, it wasn't big enough. It wasn't a great enough plan. It wasn't a grand enough plan. And even though his plans for us might be humble, might be simple, but filled with faithfulness, we realize those were the plans that we were made for. It gives us that sense of purpose as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth as a baby. We thank you that, God, you chose this young woman, Mary, to serve you in this way. God, maybe we learn from her story that you have a unique plan for each one of us. And when we follow you in that plan, it's probably something that we're going to feel ill-equipped for. It's probably something that we're going to have a sense of not being able to complete because it's a, it's something that's outside of ourselves. But God, at the, in the end, it's all that we are made to do. So Lord, we, we pray, that you, I just ask that you would give us a vision that matches up with yours, that you would allow us, even when we can't predict what's gonna happen next, even when we don't know the end of the story, that we would have the grace to be able to trust you in the midst of what's unknown to us. Because we know that you know how the story ends and Lord when, as we walk through those moments of life that are difficult as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death whether that means uncertainty about our next step in, 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 our, in our healthcare journey because we've had we've had a diagnosis or in our job because we're not sure what's going to happen next or in our relationships because there's reparate, there's some, some relationships that need to be repaired Lord that you want to repair them through us Whether it's through faithfulness and a call of reaching people in our lives who need to know you, whether it's having the courage to speak out and tell the truth, even though it's going to cost us something. Lord, whatever that that point of our journey is that we're on, that you would help us to step into it with in the power of your spirit, to make a sacrifice, to reach out to let go of something that we're trying to control. And Lord, not not completely passively, but to step into it and move with intention, but in the direction that we sense you're calling us. Lord, for some of us, we know exactly what that is. Others of us don't. Lord, as we just take a moment of, of quiet and reflection right now, would you give us each, each individual in this room whose story you know intimately? Would you just speak to us right now about what that is, what that step looks like, where we need to say, I surrender. Let your word to me, I'm your servant, let your word to me be fulfilled. Give us a picture of what that means, whether it's obedience, repentance, stepping into a challenge, What does that look like for each one of us right now? Let's just speak to us, Lord, in these moments of of quiet. even right now, sometimes uh, we forget that we are not disembodied beings, but we are physical beings. So let's just, even visibly and physically with our bodies, let's demonstrate this to the Lord. And just, if you would place your hands out in front of you, palms down to symbolize what we're letting go of our own plans, our own desires, what we envisioned and give that to him right now. our palms facing up let's receive from him what he has for us God, I am not. Remind us of that every single day. Help us to lay down our plans, our ideas in favor of yours and to say once again with Mary, I am your servant. Let your word to me be fulfilled. In Jesus' name.